Let me read to you this morning from Acts chapter 14 as we continue uh, our series in the book of Acts, You Shall Be My Witnesses. We'll begin reading uh, at verse 14. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had commit where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the Word of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for Your Word. And we are grateful to you for speaking that word to us in the Bible. And we give you thanks, Lord, 
for how you have left yourself with faithful testimony to who you are and what you are doing in this world and who you have called us to be and what you are calling us to do in this world as your church. So I pray for us this morning that as we all sit under the authority of your word, you would speak to us, you would teach us, you would help us, Lord, to pursue the paths that you have laid out for us as your people. Bless us as we look at this passage of Scripture to understand it, to lay it up in our hearts, and to practice its truths in our lives, we pray. And ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. There's an old expression, no pain, no gain. And like other expressions like it, it seeks to convey the truth that suffering is a necessary part of the process in this world of making progress. But what if I told you that in the establishment of the kingdom of God, something like the expression, no pain, no gain, is being conveyed to us who believe, to us who, through faith in Christ, have been set on this journey of proclaiming the kingdom of God in this world that has come through the person and work of Jesus, trial, hardship, suffering, difficulty, struggle, pain, and the like is not only a possibility, but a certain fact. Indeed, the apostles Paul and Barnabas said it this way as they went strengthening the churches they had planted in the towns where they endured that trial. They said, through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And Paul, reflecting on his experiences in these towns and speaking to a pupil in the faith when he was discipling to be a witness for Jesus in this world, said this to the young Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 2, 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." while evil people and imposters will go on from bad and wor to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen, if you are shocked that your commitment to Jesus and your call to share Him with the nations has brought trial, that people who were once friends have forsaken you, that folk are blowing up your social media posts on account of that commitment with slanderous comments, that folk have lied about you, to people saying you said things you didn't say, that decisions are being made to make it harder for you to speak and act on behalf of Christ and for the vulnerable of this world, that threats of death or other acts of violence have been made against you. Let me speak gently, lovingly, but boldly to you that there is no way to enter the kingdom of God without trial. No pain, no gain. And if you would prefer biblical terms, no trial, no victory, no cross, no crown. Proclaiming the kingdom 
come in Jesus, the kingdom that as Paul and Barnabas have preached it, draws the nations together in one family means putting our very bodies at risk, putting ourselves between the violent and the voiceless. In this commentary on Acts, William James Jenkins writes this. He says, disciples get hurt. Disciples carry wounds. And before we make them metaphysical, drawing them into a spiritual alchemy, we must keep them real. We who follow Jesus are working in wounds, working with wounds, and working through wounds. There is no way around it, family. If we want to follow Jesus, if we plan to follow Him in mission to the nations of the earth, we will find ourselves like Paul testifying, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So I want you to hear me this morning, brothers and sisters. The success of our church in proclaiming Christ, in drawing the nations to Himself, in being a cross-cultural body of witnesses will come through scars. I'm going to say that again so you'll hear me. The success of our church, New City Fellowship, and other churches who are gathered in the name of Jesus, our success in proclaiming Christ and drawing the nations to Him and being a cross-cultural body of witnesses will come through scars will come through Christ marking our body with the wounds to prove that we are His witnesses. The life we are called to carry into this world, the life that comes through Jesus requires this. But make no mistake about it, the kingdom will be established. The church will be built, and she will be what Christ died to make her a community from every tribe, nation, people, and language. God gave the blood of His Son to accomplish it, and He will not stop until it is accomplished. So knowing, knowing this, there are actually practices that we are called into in the face of the trial, in the face of the persecution that comes as we bear witness for Christ in the world. And these practices actually help to build the church up as she confronts the inevitable scarring that comes as she makes the kingdom of God known in this world. So what are those practices? What do we see actually Paul and Barnabas doing as they are facing the trials they are facing for proclaiming the kingdom of God? What are those practices? Well, the first practice is time. The first practice is the practice of time. There is no way for the church to be built up in the face of trial without a significant investment of time. One of our most precious commodities in this culture. Notice verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Paul and Barnabas decided, for the sake of those who were believing the gospel, that it was best to stick around and spend time fearlessly and openly speaking for the Lord. This despite, despite the turmoil being stirred up by the unbelieving Jews and Gentiles in the town. 
How easy is it to stick around for the sake of the gospel when folk are causing you trouble? How easy is it to persevere in speaking boldly for the Lord when that boldness is met with bullying? You see, most of us are ready to check out in the face of trial, believing that we are wasting our time, trying to convince folk of these things who don't want to believe them. But Paul and Barnabas didn't invest their time simply for the sake of convincing, but for the sake of building up those who were believing. They stayed for those disciples who they knew would have to endure the trial themselves after Paul and Barnabas left. And they did leave to avoid being stoned to death. But listen again to verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. After being stoned in Lystra to the point where he was thought to be dead, Paul goes the next day with Barnabas to Derbe, and then they turned around and go back into the city of Lystra where Paul had just been stoned, then to Iconium where they, where, where, where they had also been persecuted by the Jews and the Gentiles, and then back to Antioch where the whole thing started. Why? They do it to spend time strengthening the churches that have just been planted, appointing elders to help in the ongoing process of building up those churches. And not only does Paul invest his time building the church up while on the road, but also while he is at home in his church in Antioch. We read this in verse 28, and they remain no little time with the disciples. Brothers and sisters, what I'm saying to you is that one of the practices in building up the church in trial is time. It's time. It's spending time investing in each other, building each other up so that when the trials come, and they will come, we will be able to stand. The call here isn't hard to figure out. <laughs> Looking at Paul and Barnabas' own practice, the call is to invest our time in the lives of fellow believers, building them up in the faith, especially in the midst of trial and hardship, which begs the question for us this morning, what are we doing with our time? What are, what are we doing with our time? Are we spending it all on ourselves? Or are we using it in discipling others in the kingdom? Are we praying with and for each other? Are we speaking God's Word to each other? Are we supporting one another when trouble arises in our lives on account of our faith in Jesus? How are we using our time? If we're looking at our schedules, and we are finding that there is no time for ministering the gospel to others, then we might want to rethink our schedules. It's easy. It's easy to be given over to the tyranny of the pursuit of the American dream with all its attendant time commitments and miss the biblical call to be invested in each other's lives for the sake of the kingdom. 
I'm just, I'm just asking you to look at your schedule and, and just determine whether or not a good chunk of your time is really spent on you, whether or not it's really all about you, whether or not you're actually spending most of your time pursuing the American dream versus God's dream. I'm just asking. Some of this time that we're called to spend, some of this time that we are called to spend, maybe a good chunk of it in some seasons of life will mean bearing each other's burdens. That is listening to and processing through each other's concerns and taking them together before the Lord. How many of you are willing? I'm gonna meddle a little bit. How many of you are willing to get that phone call during the NBA finals from one of your Christian friends who's in trouble and having to spend an hour, two hours, maybe even two and a half, which is the whole game, working them through some issue that is going on in their lives. How many of you, when you get that call, actually turn around and say, right now? In fact, how many of you look at the phone? Before you even pick it up, I know who that is, and I know what they want. Not today, not right now. Not why Devin Booker's doing his thing. Not why Chris Paul is doing his thing. Maybe later. Maybe when I'm done. When I'm actually too tired. It may even mean, it may even mean, as in the case of Paul and Barnabas, seasons of conflict as you try and help others to be built up in the faith. And how many of you love spending your time doing conflict? So raise your hand. You just love doing conflict resolution. It's the thing you get up in the morning to do. Time. The investment of time spent building each other up in the faith so that when the trials come, we are able to stand together under those trials. So one practice, one practice in the face of trial is time. The other practice is fearless concern. Fearless concern. There's no way to pursue the kingdom of God, the kingdom that draws the nations of God, without a fearless concern for those who are in need. Have you ever noticed the scripture, in the scriptures how often the healing of someone brings trouble? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how often in the Bible when someone gets healed, what follows on the heels of that healing is trouble? It always brings joy for the person healed because their condition, which was once miserable, is now set at peace. Yet for those doing the healing, trouble often comes. Sometimes that trouble comes from the powers that be as they come to realize through the proclamation of God's kingdom in the name of Jesus that there is another power 
at work that threatens to unseat their oppressive power, but sometimes the trouble comes from those who witness God's healing and that they are tempted to attribute the healing to something or someone else other than the Lord. And it's the latter, it's the, it's the, it's the latter that it's on display initially in our story. The former comes second. The healing of the lame man in Lystra turns into a worship service, just not for God, a worship service for Paul and Barnabas. The folk in Lystra, after seeing this healing, turn to the only explanations they know, their own idolatrous narratives of the world. If this man had been made well, it is because the gods have come down in the form of men and done this great thing. Barnabas, who is likely the bigger of the two brothers, is identified as Zeus. And Paul, who is the one doing all the talking, is identified as his spokesman, Hermes. Now, before we laugh at these folk, we might want to consider the stories we believe about why true healing breaks forth in this world. Aren't we too tempted to attribute healing ultimately to some man-made power, to our idols? Aren't we tempted to attribute it to our money, to our intelligence, to our technology? Aren't we the ones who are actually making things right? Aren't we the ones that are actually healing things, broken things? Aren't we the ones with all of our power and influence and wealth and resources and technology? Aren't we really the ones that are making things right? Aren't we tempted to view ourselves as folk with God-like power? How often do we come into a depressed situation with our tools in hand, ready to fix everything in our own strength? And when the praise starts flowing from those we've healed, how quick are we to rush in with the narrative of God, to tell them the story of God whom Paul proclaims in verses 15 to 18? Or rather, are we tempted to bask in the praise? the praise that we receive for coming in with our tools and fixing it. And herein lies the point. Paul doesn't stand back listening to the narrative or watching it play out since he likely didn't know the language. Rather, he rushes in. He rushes in to counter the story that is being told and the idolatrous actions that are following it by telling them the true story of where the source of healing comes from, the true source of where salvation comes from. And he does it fearlessly, not really knowing how that rushing in is going to turn out. There is a fearless concern for the lives of these folk, a concern that they not be deceived by the false narratives of the world around them. And if it means trouble for Paul, so let it be. He puts his body at risk. He puts his body at risk. He puts his body at risk, rushing into this confused crowd to try and dissuade them. And little does he know that on the heels of this trouble, that the other trouble I just spoke about is coming in the form of the folk from Antioch and Iconium who come to stir up the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. And what happens? Paul, who had fearlessly rushed in, putting his body on the line, is stoned. And what had brought this on? Paul's fearless concern for the lives of these folk in Lystra. 
his fearless concern to see them freed from these worthless idols. Can I ask us a question this morning? Are we concerned enough for the lives of the people in our communities and in this world to put our bodies on the line? Are we concerned enough to rush in, taking on the idols that have deceived them? Are we concerned enough to rush in, taking on the powers of this world in those places where they have been deceptive by preaching the kingdom of God, come in Jesus Christ? Do we have that same concern for our neighbors that we're willing to rush in with the narrative of God to unseat the narratives of this world, even if it costs us our very lives? You know what the call here is? It's to entrust our lives to Christ. It's to entrust our lives to Christ. We can't do the work of the kingdom of God with the fearlessness that God calls us to if we are consumed by fear or the selfish desire to protect our own selves from any of the promised trials that come from following Christ. Some of us are silent when we should speak. And some of us are slow to act when we should be quick to do so. And lots of time, these restrictions are rooted in fear, a fear of what we may lose if we speak and act. In fact, I'm going to say this, some of our slowness in speaking, some of our slowness in speaking is hidden, is hidden under the false, <laughs> the false lie that we're just trying to be careful. When we're really scared to say what we know is right. I'll let, I'll let that sit on you for a second. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if we are afraid, we need to take that fear to the Lord and ask Him to root it out of us, to make us bold and courageous for the sake of the kingdom. In our extremely divided world, we need believers who will speak in love for what is right and act in love for what is right, who will enter into the risk of being scarred, wounded, for the sake of making God's love known in this world. And this means entrusting our lives to God as those who recognize what Paul would later tell the church in Rome in Romans 8, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And trusting ourselves to God means taking on the fear that we often have, the fear of loss, whatever that loss may be, and we got to give that to the Lord and say, for the sake of the kingdom, help us to actually do what you call us to do, to take this word you have given us into the… And when the false narratives rise, help us preach this narrative in the face of those false narratives, even if we get stoned for it. Did y'all know that was a practice? 
in the face of trial is fearless concern. I didn't say reckless concern. I said fearless. I didn't say reckless concern. I said fearless concern. Yeah, okay. You got me, right? Okay. Time, fearless concern, last but not least, faithful testimony. There's no way to pursue the kingdom to be built up to trial without faithful testimony to the work of God, the work that we are seeing Him do and accomplish in this world. The church in Antioch needed to hear what God was doing in Antioch, Pisidia, in Iconium, and in Lystra. They needed to hear how God was building His church in those places. It's easy to get locked into simply what we are doing and what is happening in our locales and miss out on what God is doing beyond us. We need to invest in evangelists and people beyond us to build the church in places and among people where it has not reached. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch with the recognition that the Spirit was on the move to build His church among the nations. And that's exactly what they did. And what I love about Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, this is a note for you, and they're establishing churches on the work in those places. They did not make themselves the focus, building a missionary camp for themselves, but churches made up of people from those communities, led by people from those communities. That's just a post-it note. Just save that for later. I'll come back to it in another sermon. Having finished the work, they came back and reported what they had seen God do. And you know why this is important for us to see? Because Antioch wasn't the church by itself. Antioch, through the labors of Paul and Barnabas, was tied to the story of Antioch and Pisidia, which was tied to the story of Iconium which was tied to the story of Lystra, which was tied to the story of Derby. I wonder what would happen in a city where churches faithful to the Scriptures and to the good news of the kingdom of God come in Jesus, believe they were tied into the same story. I wonder what would happen if we actually believe that the story we were telling is one story and that we've all been tied into that story by the work of Jesus Christ. I wonder what would happen in a city where the work God is doing through other churches was worth praying for, worth telling others about, and supporting where possible. I wonder if we believed we were tied into the same story, what might happen? I wonder if us Reformed folk realized, realized that we were tied into the story of the Baptist folk. And if those Baptist folk realized they were tied into the story of those Methodist folk, and if those Methodist folk realized that they were tied into the story of those missionary Baptist folk, and if all those folks started realizing they were tied into the same story, maybe, just maybe, our city would actually see what Jesus proclaimed us to be, that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. I wonder if our city might actually take notice of who Jesus is if we actually believed and behaved like we were tied into the same story. I, 
I know, I, I get it. I know we dot our theological I's and cross our theological T's differently from our Baptist brothers and sisters, but guess what? They're a part of the story. I know you don't like shouting. I get it. I know that you'd rather stand still in the holiness of God and just rock a little bit. That's okay. But some of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters like to dance. They like to shout. That's how they express their worship and love of God. And they're tied into the story of what God is doing in this world. I wonder what would happen if you believed that. I'm just saying Iconium probably worshiped a little different than Lystra. And Lystra might have worshiped a little bit different than Antioch. That's all I'm saying. Or maybe y'all think they all just took notes. By the way, I love when you take notes because it tells me you're listening to me. It's all good. I'm not, I'm not actually just… I'm not disparaging that. I love when you do it. I'm just saying other people do it differently. And that's okay. I wonder what would happen if we believe we were tied into the same story. You know why we had slavery? Because we didn't believe that those African folk were tied into the same story. Work in those lands <laughs> before we showed up. That there's actually a history of Christianity in Africa before the you. You came for your own purposes. You didn't come for mine. Because if you had come from mine, you would have realized I was already here. I wonder what would happen if today we believe we were tied into the same story. Oh, God, help us. Verse 24 to 27. <laughs> they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, and where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work they had been fulfilled. When they arrived, they gathered the church together, and they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. You see what happened? God was doing something at Antioch, and then he did something at Lystra, and Antioch and Pisidia, and Lystra, and Iconium. And now Paul's got to come back and tell Antioch, God's at work in other parts of the world. And the door isn't closed. Folk are still coming to faith in Jesus from, the monk, from among the nations 2,000 plus years later. And the call for us as a church is to continue to practice being a faithful testimony, not just through our words, but by continuing to press into that mission field around us and beyond us, sending laborers into the harvest and working together with others who belong to Jesus and our commitments to that end. We need to recognize that being a faithful witness to Christ requires the whole church, requires the whole church. It isn't 
the special work of a select few. Even the sending of missionaries and evangelists is a collective effort of the whole body. And so the call here is to embrace this collective effort of bearing testimony to Jesus by working together within our local churches and across our local congregations to bear testimony and word and deed to the kingdom of God. And there are opportunities to do this work, people of God. There are opportunities to do this work, people of God. You know, we have the privilege of being a part of a network of churches that are committed to the same things that we're committed to here at New City. And amen, we can work within that network, within that context to encourage each other to bear testimony as we uh, are bearing testimony here. We can support that work. And we do support that work, by the way, uh, financially and in other ways. But, but we can also, outside of that context, be looking for opportunities for God to connect us with other brothers and sisters and what they're doing and be a part of making the name of Jesus known in this city together with him. Either way, committing ourselves to the view that we are not solo artists, either as individuals or as an individual body of believers is crucial. We are not here by ourselves doing this work. We are gathered together with all of our brothers and sisters who name the name of Jesus across denominations and across this city and across this world. So let me close by just reminding you again that the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, it takes place in the midst of trial. It takes place in the midst of persecution. We are going to be wounded. The good news of the gospel out into the world. To restate Jenkins, this work is a work in wounds. It's a work with wounds and it's a work through wounds. Yet God has not left us without encouragement in those practices that will build us up in the face of that trial. Significant time, fearless concern, and faithful testimony are all important practices for us as believers to be committed to. And the power for this, you know it, it's from Christ. It's from Christ. It is from Christ. The Spirit is in you and in us for these things. The power is from Christ who reminds us through the Apostle Peter and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen.